I was reading a devotional not long ago, maybe a couple of months ago, and it was talking about uh, another kind of footprints. And when I was reading about that, which had something to do with medicine and all, I, I, I thought about, you know, it's true, you do have those kind of footprints, but we also have spiritual footprints. And uh, it, like in your life, you have known people, you may know people now, that as you look at how they live their life, maybe they've gone on to be with the Lord, maybe not, but they've lived their life or either they lived their life in such a way they left behind some spiritual footprints. Now, I've certainly had that happen in my life. I'm going to mention one tonight. Many of you knew, and maybe others of you did not know, but we had one of the most faithful members of our church, his whole family, Dr. Charles Cowles. In fact, I've asked him to put his picture up on the screen. Now, uh, Dr. Cowles and his wife Jennifer and their, the children they had at that time, uh, they joined our church on April the 2nd, uh, the year 2000. I checked back on that today. It, it, I, I was thinking they hadn't been here that long, but they'd been here a pretty good while. And they didn't just join the church. They, they became very active in the church. Dr. Cowles um, was um, uh, anesthesiologist at MD Anderson, but he did more than just uh, be an anesthesiologist at MD Anderson. He was actually on the faculty at MD Anderson. He taught in numbers of hospitals in the Houston area, and he would teach abroad on the other side of the water. He would go and uh, he would go to th some things where he would give talks, and sometimes he'd go to hear others giving talks. So he was very respected in the medical profession. And, you know, I knew him in three ways, really. Number one, I knew him uh, pastorally. I was his pastor, his family's pastor. So, you know, I had, I had that kind of relationship. But I also knew him professionally. He was a medical doctor, and uh, I am a pastor of a church. And as you know, it, people in churches, they get sick, and they go to hospitals, and you know, it's great to have some, have a contact that if you need some counsel and advice, maybe about what they might suggest this person do, time and time again, I'd call Dr. Cowles and say, could you help me with this, help me with that? And numbers of times when we would have members in MD Anderson that were really in serious condition, I would text him and say, Dr. Cowles, so-and-so's there, and this is where they are, and if it works in your schedule today, maybe if you could swing by and speak to them and have a prayer with them. And so he was almost like, almost like having a chaplain. I didn't abuse that. I didn't ask him to go pray with everybody in MD Anderson that I knew. But there were times in those years that we had members that I knew he would be a great encouragement to them, and he was very good. And then I knew him not only uh, that way, I, I knew him personally. In fact, I would say this, and I think I could probably speak for John, and I, if he were here, he'd probably say the same thing. Charles Cowles was probably one of the best friends that I've ever had. Now, even though he had only been here since 2010, but in those years, we just, uh, we, we just developed a, a, good, a good friendship. He loved Mexican food, and that always, now that's a way to endear yourself with me real quickly, and uh, in fact, the trouble with him is he loved all kinds of food. That was one of, one of Dr. Cal's problems, but 
he, he was such a help to me and, I, I, and to my family. And I, I won't go off on repeating things, but I just simply say that uh, years back when John was going through what he was going through with his cancer situation, Dr. Cowles, was, he was instrumental in getting us hooked up with Dr. Link. And then Dottie's situation, I, I just do not know how what we would have done had it not been for Dr. Kyle's to guide, guide us through some of that. Now, sadly, um, like Christmas came on a Friday, if I remember correctly, and sometime on Saturday, after the day after Christmas, some, whether late afternoon or early evening sometime, he and his family were in Arkansas on their way to Branson for vacation. And nobody's really sure exactly what happened, but the end of that is a tremendous and tragic uh, vehicle accident. And Dr. Cowles was killed, um, like, instantly. And his wife, Jennifer, tremendously uh, injured. In fact, you might, would, I hope, continue to pray for her. She is, um, she'll, she's probably a year away at best, Maybe from being able to even walk again without a walker. She has more surgery ahead. Two of their three children were injured. The third one was not injured very much, which is really very remarkable. And then that was late on Saturday before Sunday. But on Sunday morning, we, we, between services, uh, Dr. Gamble, Tom Gamble, saw, came to my study between services to tell me uh, the tragic news of, of his death. I just, uh, and, and uh, I won't go into the details of, of why he did the right thing telling me that there was a reason for that. But be, be that as it may, now, Dr. Cowles, you know, he's gone from us physically, but he left behind some spiritual footprints. Like, he was involved in so many things in the church. He, he was involved in our medical teams at work. He was a deacon in the church. He served on the personnel committee of the church. Uh, he was a member of the a board of the First Baptist Christian Academy. Uh, I mean, he just was in all kind of things, not only here but everywhere. But what I've learned since his death is I've had interaction with people outside of my world that, that his life had touched them as well. Charles Cowles left footprints spiritual footprints. I, I'm, I'm, it's amazing to so many people, and I bless the Lord for that. Now, having said that, if you'll go home tonight and think about it, there have been numbers of people in your life that have left some spiritual footprints that you want to follow or at least try to follow. And I want to give you a little Bible verse you might write down. It's Proverbs chapter 10, verse 7. I think they're going to put the reference up on the screen and the verse. There, the, the memory of the righteous is blessed. I love that verse. And in my Bible, in fact, I'm going to turn back to it this very moment. Proverbs uh, chapter 10, verse 7. Uh, now, I'm one of these people that kind of write in their Bible. Uh, but beside that verse in this Bible here, um, I, have, I have several names, and one of those names is Charles Cowles. In other words, every time I think about him and, um, 
And, and these others whose names I have here in this Bible, and I have other names in other Bibles I have and use. But I mean, when I just think of those people, it, it's, a, it's a blessed thing. Don't you have people like that that have gone on to be with the Lord? And for whatever reason, you think about them like, like Sunday's Mother's Day. Many of us, our mothers with the Lord. But like I'll think more about my mother Sunday than I would probably do any other day in the year. It's Mother's Day. You say, well, she's going to be the Lord. Well, it doesn't matter where. She has gone to be the Lord, but I'll, I'll reflect. And, and, the, and this verse will just, just come to life to me in a very special way. You might want to think of others. Now, it's interesting. The Bible is filled with people who left spiritual footprints for you and for me to try the best we can to walk in those footprints and to follow the direction they live. I looked today. I didn't have time to count this today. I hope this is right. What I saw today was there are 3,237 people named in the Bible. Now, there are many other references in the Bible that will just talk about a group or the people or a crowd gathered, but there are actually 3,000 237 people who their names are printed in the Bible. Now, number one, not all of those left spiritual footprints to follow. But here's the interesting thing. Out of all the people who are named in the Bible, with the exception of Jesus, not one of them was sinless. Every single one of them had a weakness or maybe many weaknesses. They had a flaw. And so as you study the people, and we're going to be looking at one tonight, but see, even though I don't read but one little place in the Bible where, where he did obviously have a, a weakness and a flaw, but I can assure you that he had more weaknesses and flaws than that one. And you say, well, how would you know that? Because all the people in the Bible were people. And all people except Jesus, they're not one of them is a perfect person. We're all sinners. We are born with a sin nature. And that's just how it goes. Now, tonight, what I want us to do, I want us to look at this man, Noah. He's going to be our person tonight. I'm going to do the best I can to finish what I have prepared. If I don't finish it, what I'm going to do, I'm just going to stop. If that clock tells me to stop, I'll, I'm just going to stop. But I'm going to try to get there. So we'll just start out. Now, you, you know you know some things about Noah, but, and, and I've already said he was not perfect, but we're going to be looking at this in a moment. You know, he's the guy that built the ark. I mean, if you go to any of our little children's classes on Sunday morning uh, from probably just almost whatever age <laughs> and say, hey, how many of you ever heard of Noah? They'll all raise their hand. What did Noah do? Well, Noah, he built an ark and the people got on the ark and when the flood came, they were saved. You and I, many of us, we've been in church all of our life and we've heard the story of Noah over and over and over. But now listen to me. There's more about Noah and more to Noah than just the man who built the ark. And we're going to look at some of that tonight. There's much more about him. And the Bible tells us some very interesting things about Noah. Now, if you'll open your Bible to Genesis chapter number 5, that's where I hope you'll be at this moment. And I'm going to 
I'm get out of Proverbs. You go back over here in Genesis chapter 5. Noah, when you get in Genesis chapter 5, and I'm, I'm uh, well, I'm in Exodus chapter 5. It'll probably read better if I went to Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter 5. By the way, in the second service Sunday, I, I kind of made some adjustments to my sermon because the group is different in the second service. It's just, it's just different. And I was talking about how difficult it is to find Ezekiel, and I, I, I really went through a little drama skit about it. I really won't do that again. But then after the service, one of our staff members said, Pastor, what you don't understand is many of the people, most people in that second service, have no prob- problem finding Ezekiel. I said, now, how's that? said, they just get out their iPhone, go to phone and my Ezekiel. said, so you just made a big mess out of nothing. I said, well, thanks for the help. Thanks for the help. But anyway, if you look in, in Genesis in chapter number 5, and, and uh, you, you look down in, in verse number, uh, you look down in verse 28, you see about a man named Lamech, and it says he lived 182 years, and he had a son. He called his name Noah. Now, his father, that name doesn't ring a bell, probably with any of us, really. But his grandfather would ring a bell back up to verse 25, because his grandfather's name, Methuselah. Now, we've all heard about Methuselah, and the reason we've heard about Methuselah is because he lived so very long. He lived 969 years. He lived longer than anybody is recorded living on the earth. 969 years. So that's his grandfather. That's a very interesting thing about Noah. Noah, as you read in Genesis chapter 5, he is the 10th down from Adam. You know, Adam's the first man. And then he had sons, and it kind of goes on down, and it gets down to Noah. So, you know, I don't know if he's a great, 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 what it is, but he's 10 back when you get there. And that always kind of helps me. Now, another thing we need to know about Noah, in the day in which he lived, now listen to this, it was universally corrupt. Now, this is very, very important. We need to put ourselves in the context of Noah when he lived. It was not good at all. If you look in chapter 6, if you look in chapter 6, uh, uh, let's just start out here in, in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters, daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. I'm going to stop just a moment and say that's an end. That verse is probably one of the most disputed verses among biblical scholars and commentators. It'd be on the list of, you know, who are these, who are these sons of God that married these daughters of men? And I I could talk like that a long time, but if I do, I'll never finish what I'm going to. Um, I'll tell you what I think. First of all, there are four different theories of who these folks are. But I, I'm going to still hang on, and it's a valid theory. I, I think this is talking about fallen angels, and many would say that. It's interesting. I will tell you this. I, I sent an email to Dr. Kendall early yesterday morning. And I said, Dr. Kendall, I have, I have a question. I need help. 
I said in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, it talks about these sons of God, the daughters of men. Who, who, who are these sons of God? I would like for you to tell me what you know. Because I think Dr. Kendall probably knows his Bible as well as anybody I know. I don't necessarily always, some of his interpretations of things, you know, we all have to, but as far as just knowing the Bible, Dr. Kendall, well, he wrote me back. Would you like to know what he said? He sent it back immediately. You want to hear what he said? Well, if you don't show any more interest in this, I won't tell you. I will not tell you. I don't, I don't see. He wrote, he wrote me back instantly. And here's what he said. He said, Charles, I'm about to tell you something that I never wanted you to know. And here's what he said. I don't know. <laughs> well, I read that, and I wrote him back. And I said, well, I said, Dr. Kendall, I appreciate that. I said, but now I know you well enough. You may not know, but you have an opinion. Dr. Kendall has an opinion on everything. Don't we all? I said, what? who do you think these people are? And then he wrote me back. Now, this is a cop-out. He said, well, I don't know, but I think there's some kind of angels. And I wrote him back and said, let me help you. They are fallen angels, and we know that from three verses in Job. And he wrote me back, thank you. That's like, well, anyway, a lot of things we we, we don't know completely, but be that as it may, uh, this is what took place. And, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days is going to be 120 years. And there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of men. Here it is again. And they bore children to them, and those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Then the Lord saw, look in verse 5, the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God looked down and saw this situation. Wickedness was everywhere. The seed of Satan dominated the world and God was grieved. And what God did, he pronounced judgment on everybody except Noah and his family. Look back in verse 6. Let's pick up in verse 6. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But he didn't destroy Noah. You say, well, why did he not destroy Noah? Look in verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, now, how did he find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Well, look in verse 9, and we read the answer. It tells us exactly why. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now, if you're a Bible underliner, he says three things here about Noah. Just what this is talking about, God is saying Noah lives his life by the standards of God. He lives his life by the teachings of what God has said. This idea of perfect in his generation does not mean he was perfect. It, it, it's, it's the idea compared to those around him. <laughs> he was 
more complete living like God would have a person live than, than all the other people in that day. And then it says, he walked with God. Now, that's a very interesting thing. And that implies, that refers that Noah had an unusual intimacy with God. That's the idea. He walked with God. He and God were very intimate in their relationship. Now, it's interesting to me, you know, if you ever, if you ever, you have read this story, you think about this story, all these animals, except those that were taken on the ark, like they were destroyed too. Like you had Noah, there were eight human beings that got in this ark. Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives. That adds up to eight. And then you have pairs of every animal on the earth and outside of those pairs they all got on the all the others were you know we say well they were morally innocent but yes but they were creatures under man's corrupt rule and they shared uh, in the judgment now I want to I want to just kind of think about that with me just a moment because that raises a good thought and it raises a good question here's the good thought Noah's family was saved from the flood because Noah lived a godly life. That's a good thought. It makes a difference how man lives his life. It really does. His family will be blessed. And you could shift that over and say the same back at a woman. Makes a difference how she lives her life. Because in Noah's case, his wife, his three sons, and the girls that married them, they're all saved. They're going to all get on the ark because of how Noah lived his life. Now, that's a good thought. Now, let me, let me raise this good question. And, and, and you've thought about this before. The question is this. Let's flip that coin to the other side. Will God's judgment be passed on to children because of the sins of their parents? Now, you've surely thought about that before. And let me just give you a couple of Bible references to read. Time's sake, I'm not going to turn to them. Jot these down. Uh, in fact, I, I, Deuteronomy 5, 9. I, may not, I did give that. Thank you. You ought to jot those two scriptures down. Deuteronomy 5, 9 and Ezekiel 18, verses 19 through 32. You, you need to read both of those. Don't read it now while we're trying to do this, but when you get home, you have to read them because this is, a very, this is a very good thing. Oftentimes I hear people say, well, now, but you know, what's happened, the sins of this parent, they're going to be passed. And you go back and read Deuteronomy, it's talking about to the third and fourth generation. Now, and then you go over to Ezekiel, and it's even clearer that the sins of parents, that, that the children are not punished by the sins of the parents, of the parents, you know, sins of the parents. But when you back over in Deuteronomy, it's talking about the third and fourth generation. You say, well, what's, what's he talking about? Well, here's the deal. Ezekiel clears it up in chapter 18. Like if a parent sins, God's not going to judge the children because of the sins of the parent, but the sins of the parent. The consequences, many times, they do pass on to the children. If children grow up in a godless home, it may take three or four generations to reverse that, to ever get them back to being themselves a, 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 a godly home, godly parents to raise their children. So it is a good thought, and it is a very good question. It's consequences that pass along. Now, you know, the difference I'm thinking about Noah's day, how it was universally corrupt. Well, folks, I don't discourage you. 
You couldn't live in a day and time that's more universally corrupt than what we live in today. That's just, you know, I read all this stuff in the Bible and, you know, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. There's one big difference in how we are universally corrupt in our day and how people used to be. Like, it's not like all people used to be godly people. And now all people are not godly people. First of all, that's not true. Here's the difference. In our day, we parade sin. We parade sin. Now, years gone by, people sinned, but it was kind of like they tried to cover it up. Now, just out in broad daylight. We'll have, we'll have we'll, there'll be a proper proud gay week. <laughs> I guarantee you God's not saying proud gay week. And whether it be that or whether it be something else, that is just what has happened. You know, I was just, this whole idea, you know, about, about the day and time in which we live, I, I just, I'm just reading some Bible verses, for example, about homosexuality. Let me just read you a few quickly. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. In the New Testament in Romans, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving themselves the penalty of our error, which is due. And, you know, 1 Corinthians, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. doesn't mean if a person ever committed one of those sins, they won't go to heaven. It means if that's how they live, if that's their lifestyle, they are not going to ever make it to heaven. That's what the Bible says. And so we live in a day and time, though, <laughs> Well, you know, people just almost sneer when we talk about the Bible and the Word of God. How did we ever get in this situation? You say, well, it's our political leader's fault. Well, I'll tell you how we got in this situation. We got in this situation when we drifted and drifted and drifted away from the Word of God. That, that's how we got here. You see, the Bible, you know, as I think about this deal, you know, when God made a helpmate for Adam, he made a woman. He didn't make a man. And the Bible is very clear about all these areas of living life, but what we've done, we've drifted and drifted, and it's, it's a very sad thing. The Bible, I said this Sunday, is God's Word in print. That's what this book is. It's just God's Word in print. But just little by little and then by lot by lot, even Christian people, even churches. I mean, the liberalism in churches is unbelievable, more than people realize. You know, in America, we're in politically, <laughs> I, I guess we could say it this way. Politically, there is a war in America at a level I've never seen. You say, uh-oh, what are you going to say now? I just said it. <laughs> but wait a minute. 
But theologically, we're in a war. The sad thing about the war we're in, most Christian people don't really see what's happening in the war. And what Satan has done is just little by little by little just cause so many people they don't read their Bible. They don't believe what they read. They don't know anything about the Bible. And what they know and what they see they're supposed to do, they, you know, they just, you know, the Bible is just very clear on some very basic things. Uh, you know, I think the life lesson here, when God's Word is not the standard, we drift to the point of God's judgment. It happened in Noah's day. Now listen carefully. It's going to happen in our day, and I'll tell you what, it may already have happened. It may already be happening. I, I'm still on the fence. I'm still on the fence, and I'm not the only one on the fence, that I'm not completely convinced that this pandemic is not part of the judgment of God on the whole world. I, I'm not saying that I would go to the stake on that, but I will say this, you ought to consider it. I mean, you know, <laughs> this thing it's just, it's just beyond, but it isn't just that. You know, last night I'm hearing about tornadoes in places. I'm hearing about houses burning down in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm, I'm, I'm just, all this stuff is happening in nature. I mean, you just have to sometimes say, you know, does God, is God, is this part of God's judgment? Well, it's something to think about. Well, all that said, I want you to real quickly now, and I think I can do it. I want to give you some a spiritual uh, footprint life lessons from Noah. First of all, it'll be on the screen. Uh, one of the things as I read the story of Noah, live each day with an intimacy with God. The Bible says Noah walked with God. In the same verse it says that in my Bible, back in chapter 5, if you look in yours in verse 24, there's another guy that walked with God. His name is Enoch. And, and what it means to live, in a, uh, live each day with an intimacy with God, that's easier said than done. They're just things you're going to have to do every single day in order to do that. I thought it was interesting in one of Charles Stanley's life principles, in fact, it's his very first life principle, and here's what it is. Our intimacy with God is God's highest priority, now listen to this, and determines the impact of our lives. God's highest priority is not that I preach good sermons, mediocre sermons, get this done, get that done. God's highest priority for me is that daily I live with an intimate relationship with him. And so it is with you. Could I have an amen with that? We learned that from old Noah, the guy that built the ark. He did more than built the ark. Well, number two, uh, live each day by faith, not by sight. Think about it. Noah didn't even know what rain was. <laughs> God told him to build an ark. He didn't know what floodwaters were. The water at that time came like up from the ground like a mist. And what he did, he just lived his life by faith, not by sight. Uh, he did what God told him to do, even though he did not understand it. That's hard to do. That's hard to do. It's interesting, Dr. Stanley's second life principle says, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Boy, wouldn't I have lived a better life had I always done that. Just I'm just going to obey God. If I obey God, it, it, whatever will be, will be. God's sovereign. God's in control. You learn that from the life of Noah. Number three, do your part in partnership with God, knowing he will do his part. So here we have divine sovereignty 
and human responsibility. And you say, well, where do you see that in the life of Noah? Well, well, in several places. First of all, Noah and his family and the animals, they went in the ark. Like God didn't drag them in the ark. They walked in the ark. That was their human responsibility. And then as you read that story, it's very, very interesting. Chapter 7, verse 16. Chapter 7, verse 16. God closed the door. That's divine sovereignty. They did their part. Like God told Noah to build the ark. God didn't build the ark. He told Noah to build the ark. That's human responsibility. But then God sent the floodwaters. That's divine sovereignty. God said, go in the ark. They did. That's human responsibility. God closed the door. That is divine, divine sovereignty. And you see that in the life of Noah. Number four, make worship priority in your life. And it's interesting, go over in chapter 8 real quickly. If you look down in verse 20, the first thing Noah did when he got out of the ark, uh, he built an altar. When he got out of the ark, he built an altar, and, and he worshiped, he worshiped God. And, and it, it's just a beautiful thing. You know, worshiping God, I think God's put it on my heart, my next Sunday morning assignment. I, I'm going to tell you, Jimmy, pretty quick where you can be getting up some good music in advance. But uh, I, I want to preach a, a, a sermon. I, I mentioned this verse last Sunday, but this morning about don't forsake yourself and sin together other believers. I, I, I need to preach, I think, a sermon about the importance of just going to church. The Bible's pretty clear that's what we're to do. Well, what's the big deal about that? I mean, why can't we just stay home and sit in our pajamas and drink coffee and watch a thing on streaming? Well, people do. And thankfully, during the pandemic, um, that's been the only way you could go to church. And the others, they, they physically aren't able to come back to church. But I'm telling you what, as thankful as I am for streaming, it's not like being in the building. But I'm going to preach a sermon on that later, so I better just get off that tonight. All right. All right. Uh, God delights when his children worship him. And then number five, this is something you may not have thought about. You see, it's a footprint he leaves. Even though you're saved, you you still have a sinful nature. Think about something a moment. When, When Noah got out of the ark and he built the altar and he worshiped God, the ark... The ark had done some good for Noah and his wife and those kids and their wives. But the fact is, it had preserved his sinful nature. He had a sinful nature when he went on ark. He had a sinful nature when he came out. Now, this is important. You're a Christian, but you need to understand something. Even though you're still a Christian, uh, you, you still have a sinful nature. And we must never, never, ever forget that. I was thinking about things today that we read in the Bible. You know, things that Paul said. Paul said, right into Timothy, he said, Jesus Christ came to the world and save sinners of whom I am chief sinner. Well, he was saved when he said that. And then, then, you know, he said over in Romans, what I want to do is what I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I Well, he was saved when he said that. See, Paul said a lot of things. He was saved when he said them, and he wrote things, and he was saved when he wrote them. Just because he got saved, it didn't, it didn't delete his sin nature. And I'm saying to you, dear friend, I hope everybody here tonight not saved, but you still have a sin nature, and you need to be on guard because Satan knows what your weakness is. 
and he knows what my weakness is and he'll creep up from the blind side and before long you just don't know what he can do well let me let me wrap it up this way i think there're two things i think there're two things tonight that we need to do to that would be good for us one is i would encourage you tonight maybe tomorrow think about some people that have left spiritual footprints for you if you're still living, you might let them know. I've thought much about that. Not one time, not one time, and I was aware of it, that I ever tell Dr. Cowles how things in his life had influenced me, encouraged me, opened my eyes about things. Well, we all have that same thing. But number two, don't, don't wall in that forever. But if they're out there, you might let them know. If they've gone to be the Lord, thank God for them. But here's the second thing. Second thing is this. Ask God to help you live your life in such a way that you can be and leave behind spiritual footprints for others to follow.